This morning's scripture is taken from Daniel chapter 6, verses 10 through 28. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in, in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he'd done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within these thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of, of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No, no diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then, at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm." Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces." Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, the scriptures and we thank you for even just the stories that they contain, Father. Sometimes 
stories communicate truths in ways that uh, just uh, bare fact can't. So, Father, we thank you for, for the truths that this story communicates to us and that uh, you show up in the midst of stories, most importantly, the story of our own lives. So, Father, be with us this morning as we reflect on this story. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I'm not the, the first person to, to ever mention this, uh, but have you ever noticed how intense some of the stories are that we end up telling our kids or sharing with our kids? Think for a minute about some of the nursery rhymes that we sing to our kids, right? Think about the, the Humpty Dumpty one. You've heard this one before, right? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses, all the king's men, what? Couldn't put Humpty back together again. Now, first of all, I don't know what a Humpty Dumpty is, but for whatever reason, he falls off the wall and crashes into a million pieces, and there is no hope whatsoever for his rescue. As if that's not bad enough, think about uh, Rockabye Baby, right? Rockabye Baby on a treetop. First of all, why are babies up in trees, right? Rockabye Baby on a treetop. How does it go? When the wind blows, the cradle will rock and down will come baby, cradle and all. So babies are now falling from trees to their death. These incredible weird stories that, that we tell our kids from time to time. But we don't think about it, right? We just do it. We just tell them these crazy stories. Why? Because we've heard it our entire lives, and in some ways, we've become numb to the meaning that they actually have and what they say. The same danger could be true of of our text this morning, the story that we read this morning. If you grew up with any sort of faith connection whatsoever, uh, even if it was just minimal, you've probably heard the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Maybe you've read it to your children. We just brought the kids up and we just read it to them here this morning. But you can't deny that this is a really intense story. I mean, at the very end, men, women, and children are fed to lions to their death at the very end of the story. They are devoured. But with familiarity to stories like this comes the temptation that we can sometimes miss the power of these stories. And this story is particularly powerful because it is a powerful story about faithfulness. And what I'd like to do this morning is look at this powerful story of faithfulness and attack it from from several, several different angles as we look at it. The first angle I'd like to look at this story is is to look at the faithful presence of Daniel in this story, the faithful presence of Daniel. Uh, This week is really the the last week that we're going to be looking uh, at the book of Daniel. If you've been with us, you know that that we've looked at it for the, for the past six weeks. And uh, we're going to finish this morning because the remaining chapters in the book of Daniel are, are incredibly difficult prophetic, uh, prophetic passages, and they're just too heavy to talk about in the summer. Maybe we'll come back to it at some point. But what I've explained to you uh, is that I personally have been really fascinated by uh, the book of Daniel for lots of reasons. But the thing I've been most fascinated about is to see how Daniel interacted with the culture in which he found himself in. His people had uh, been captured by a foreign nation. They'd been carried into exile. So Daniel was an exile. He was an exile in uh, a culture 
that was at best apathetic to his faith and, and more commonly hostile to his faith. And as you've been with us, you'll know it's been fascinating for me to look at that because I think in some ways our culture today resembles more the culture of Daniel than anything else. We have to, in some ways, get past this idea that we still live in a Christian culture or in a Christian nation. Instead, we live in a culture now that looks a lot more like the culture in which Daniel lived in. Last week, we saw that, that Daniel, as he interacted with the culture, uh, didn't choose to resist this foreign culture. He didn't launch into uh, political campaigns to try to establish Jewish morality uh, in this foreign culture. Instead, he chose to be faithfully present. He worked for the welfare of the king. He worked for the welfare of the kingdom that he found himself in. And he chose to display the glory of God in small and tangible ways to a hostile king in a hostile kingdom. And if you read the book of Daniel, you realize that he did this for a really, really long time. He lived through an incredibly tumultuous time, really, in the ancient world. Most people think that Daniel was about 16 when he was uh, first carried into exile into the Babylonian kingdom by the king Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of chapter 1, Daniel and his friends start getting noticed in this foreign kingdom. It was, a, it was a story about a diet that ended up at the end of the story getting them noticed by this foreign king. And in chapter 2, we learn that David has not only been noticed by this foreign king, but he's been made a ruler, a supreme prefect in the kingdom of Babylon. And by the end of chapter 4, real progress has been made. Daniel has become very close with the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar is even himself praising Daniel's God. He's praising the Most High God. And you think, finally, we've, we've made some progress in this foreign culture. But at the end of chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar disappears. And when chapter 5 opens up, it's another king who's in charge of this foreign culture. And this king has largely forgotten about Daniel and forgotten about his people. Once again, God brings Daniel to the front of this foreign culture. And at the end of chapter 5, Daniel has made the third largest ruler in all of this ancient kingdom. He's won the respect of this new king. But at the very end of the chapter, you find out as soon as Daniel is promoted into this incredibly prominent place, the kingdom is conquered. A new kingdom comes in and they take over and Daniel has to start from scratch all over again. So when Daniel 6 opens, Daniel is an old man at this point, probably in his late 80s. And But what you find as soon as you start reading this chapter is even with this new king and this new kingdom, Daniel has already won the respect of the king of the Medes and the Persians of King Darius. This 16-year-old Jewish exile has now outlasted as many as four kings 
and two different kingdoms over a period of probably close to 70 years. And yet, despite all the political chaos that surrounds Daniel, he simply sought to quietly display the power of God's, the power of God's glory through his faithful presence. You see, Daniel was committed to being rooted as a person in the place that God had put him in over the long haul. Many of you know that, uh, that before I uh, was, did this church planning gig, I was a youth minister. I did that for about uh, 10 or 11 years at, at two different churches. And uh, part of the job of a youth minister is to kind of care for and pastor and shepherd and counsel the uh, kind of teen and adolescent population in a church and a neighborhood. And uh, because I had lasted in that profession for about uh, 10 or 11 years, I was like the grandfather in this profession. And part of that is because there is so much turnover when it comes to youth ministers. The fact that I had lasted so long was incredible. And I'd seen many people come and go over my 10 or 11 years uh, doing this job. And I heard a statistic one day that said that the average lifespan of someone in that profession, the average lifespan was around 18 months. That's all these youth ministers tended to last. What it was, was the very opposite of what we see in the life of Daniel. We've all heard the phrase that, that the grass is always greener on the other side. And, and many of us in our lives have fallen victim to that. We can probably all tell stories of when we were captured by, by something that just seemed more attractive than where we were at that moment. And then we, we reoriented our lives. We switched everything around to, to pursue that other thing. And then when we got there, it just wasn't quite what it seems. We often struggle with contentment in the place that God has us. And so we fix our eyes on what is next and instead we ignore what is now. But we don't see that in Daniel. And we wonder what it is that kept Daniel from falling victim to the grass is always greener on the other side syndrome. What was the thing that kept Daniel so faithful to display God in a foreign world for such a long period of time? And I think the answer, the key to to Daniel's longevity is really found in one small verse in our passage. Because in our passage, we see the fuel or the motivation, the thing that kept Daniel's faithfulness true for such a long period of time. You see, I don't think it was ever easy for Daniel. I think it was actually quite difficult over those 70 years. And just because Daniel had risen to prominence in in the lives of many kings, it doesn't mean that he didn't make his enemies along the way. And our passage starts off by telling us that David had made some enemies and they were enemies that, that wanted to bring Daniel down. They wanted him gone. They wanted him removed from this position. So they hatch a plan to make a new law. They go before the king and they make a new law. And that law instructed the nation that they could only pray to King Darius for a period of 30 days. Anyone that would break this law would be executed for their rebellion. They would be thrown to the lions. So what does Daniel do? 
certainly puts him in a difficult place. It puts him in an awkward place. It looks as if his enemies may have won. Well, verse 10 tells us exactly what Daniel did. It says, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he had done previously. See, what was the thing that that fueled Daniel's faithful presence over the long haul? Well, our passage tells us it was consistent prayer. You see, Daniel didn't just pray when the crisis hit. His enemies knew exactly where to find him because they knew that Daniel made a habit of praying every single day. They knew this was the way to get Daniel out of the way. They knew him to be a man of prayer. You see, I think our tendency is is to look at Daniel and to think that he had it all together. You read all these narratives and all these incredible stories and we walk away amazed at how he is always in the right place at the right time with the right words to say to the foreign king. But I think internally probably the opposite was very true. You see, I've noticed personally in my life that when things seem to be going well in my life, when the bills are getting paid, when, when uh, work is going well, when our kids are behaving, those tend to be the times where I am not praying. They're the times where I've become pretty sufficient in my own control of my life and I've become pretty confident in my ability to handle life and so I don't pray. But when we wonder how the bills are going to get paid, when work isn't going particularly well, when the kids have been driving us crazy, when I most wrestle with feelings of doubt and failure, those are the times where I am praying because I have nowhere else to go. You see, prayer isn't just something that we add on to supplement an already good life that we are living. Prayer is recognizing in humility that we don't have what it takes to handle the things that life throws our way. Because meaningful prayer happens when our self-confidence has been exhausted. Because prayer in its essence is recognizing that we need God to show up in the middle of our mess. You see, Daniel didn't just pray in the crisis. His life was a life of prayer. It tells us that he made a habit of three times a day falling on his knees, asking God to show up in his life. Three times a day, going before God, recognizing that he didn't have the stuff that was inside of him to make his life work. Instead, He needed God to show up in miraculous ways. You see, Daniel's faithfulness was fueled by prayer. But there's another element to the idea of faithfulness that we observe in this story. It's it's another angle that helps us to see that Daniel's faithfulness was intended to point us to something even bigger and something even greater. 
Because Daniel's faithfulness points us ultimately to the faithfulness of God to his people. You see, though Daniel was innocent in our story, he was imprisoned and he was led to his death. The passage tells us that that Darius, the king, could do nothing in order to circumvent the foolish law that he had made. And so an innocent man would have to march to his death. So Daniel, our passage tells us, is, is thrown to the lions. He's thrown into the lion's den. And it's so interesting to note that the passage tells us that, that the sleepless night that night was not on Daniel's part. Instead, it was the king. It was Darius himself who couldn't sleep that night, who had to pace the hallways just so he could pass the time And it tells us that in the morning, when the morning came, Darius removes the stone of the den and Daniel comes forth unscratched from the lion's den. Now another king is amazed. But he isn't amazed at Daniel or Daniel's faithfulness. Ultimately, he is amazed at Daniel's God. This was just another opportunity that we've seen all throughout the book. Just another opportunity for God's faithfulness to be put on display for the whole world to see. You see, God was faithful to Daniel. And because God was faithful to Daniel, the whole world stood in awe of the faithfulness of Daniel's God. I said that there was a bigger thing that was going on in that story, and that is a picture of God's faithfulness. But there's an even bigger layer to this story as well, a bigger picture of God's faithfulness that we see in this story. Because you see, Daniel's people had been conquered and exiled. They'd been forcibly removed from their land because of their sin, because of their rebellion. And because of their sin and rebellion, it was probably very easy for the people to think that God had ultimately wiped his hands of the people, that God had given up on them. He'd given them over to punishment and he'd walked away. But that was not true. If they thought that, they would have thought wrong because God had promised, even before this exile happened, God had promised that he would be their God forever. And he promised that at one point he would restore them as a nation. And what we know from from history is that this event with Daniel and this king set up a chain reaction that ended up bringing freedom to God's people. Just years or even maybe months after this story, Cyrus the king would free God's people, the Jewish nation, from their exile and from their captivity. You see, God just wasn't being faithful to Daniel as a person. He was being faithful to his promises to his people. In spite of their sinfulness, in spite of their failures, in spite of their rebellion, God was faithful to his promises. You know, God makes promises to you and I too. If you are uh, one of his children, he makes incredibly beautiful promises to you where you are in your life right now. 
He promises that, that he will never, ever leave you. He will never forsake you. He promises that no sin that you could commit is too great to snatch you out of his hand, out of his grip. He promises to, to shape and discipline you as his children. He promises that all the things that come your way are part of his perfect and good plan for you and for your life. He promises ultimately to prepare a place for you in his presence, a place for you in his final consummation of his plan of redemption. And God is always faithful to keep his promises. You know, as people who uh, believe the Bible and believe that it is true, we believe that uh, this story that we read about in the book of Daniel is a story that actually happened in time and space and history. It wasn't just some myth that conjures up good feelings. It was actually true. It was a story where God miraculously stepped in to stop the mouths of lions, a story where God showed up in an extraordinary way, a way that is beyond nature to display something powerful. But we also believe that even these stories that happened in time and space and history, even these stories point to something deeper. Because the scriptures tell us that later on there was another man of prayer. The story points to another innocent man who was condemned. It's a story that points to another story where the law had to be followed and someone had to be punished because ultimately we realize that this story points us to Jesus himself. It points us to the gospel story and the gospel story uh, has images of even this Daniel story, but it's different in another way and it's different in the sense that Instead of Jesus being delivered, instead he was devoured. The mouths of the lions were opened for him. The the fire of the furnace consumed him. Though he was innocent, the weight of the law crushed him. You see, Daniel was beautifully delivered from the teeth of an unjust law, but Jesus was consumed by the teeth of of a just law. Darius promises, uh, Darius praises God who delivers and rescues. Jesus came so that you and I could be delivered and rescued from the penalty of sin and from the condemnation of the law. And he did it by offering himself in our place. He indeed is a God who is faithful a God who keeps his promises and a God who delivers and rescues. Let's pray.